The spin is supported by NatWest. Why? Because NatWest loves cricket. The skills it teaches and the communities it creates and want it to be easy for everyone to get involved. To find out about how NatWest is helping make cricket open to all, search NatWest Cricket. It's my birthday, so as a special treat, we're off to Taunton for this episode of The Spin. The World Cup final went to a super over, the Ashes went down to the wire, and just this weekend, the T20 final was decided on the last ball. So, of course, this season is finishing with the top two in the county championship playing each other in a winner-takes-all decider. It's the perfect end of the summer. There was a lot of rain forecast this week. Nat would hand the trophy to Essex, but if the sun comes out, then Somerset's dreams of their first ever title are still alive. And since we're heading to the West Country, it seems only right to have one last cream tea with Dan Norcross and Vish Ahantaraja, because summer's not over until the last ball's bowled. Somerset going to win the county championship for the first time in their history or will visitors Essex spoil the party and add the trophy to the one they won on Saturday at the Vitality Blast finals day on this episode we'll chat to Somerset and England legend Marcus Druscothic and whoever else we might bump into plus we'll discuss England's new centrally contracted players the squads for the winter tours and find out which 90s icon Dan Norcross has been thrusting his hips at it's the spin I'm Emma John and this is The Spin, the cricket podcast that's still a bit hungover from T20 finals day. Our tabletop game of test match is in the box back in the studio because instead today we're sitting in the indoor nets at Taunton because it's pouring down with rain outside and we don't want to get wet. Uh, Dan and Vish are with me and the framed picture of Michael Atherton has travelled with us on the 903 from Paddington to be here too. As we say, it is torrential out there. So I thought to warm up the podcast muscles today, uh, we should just ask Dan and Vish, are these the worst conditions that you've ever reported in? Because Dan, in your case, the BBC are actually having to commentate from a roof with no protection whatsoever. It's abysmal. Uh, I'm a man barely alive. Yesterday I couldn't feel my toes or my hands and uh, today I arrived with four or five layers on. It was it was tough, it was dreadful, but it's not as bad as Dubai was. Dubai was worse. Uh, Dubai was my first game of the season. Ollie Pope got a wonderful 250. I couldn't see any of it as sand was being blown at 50 miles an hour directly into my face on a roof, followed by lightning strikes, thunder, rain. Uh, I mean, it's, it, I guess it was 15 degrees warmer, but in every other respect, I think it's possibly just Dubai that gets it. Fish, you're a little bit better off than Dan because you do have a roof where you're writing from today, but you are in a tiny little porter cabin. Yeah, we are in a porter cabin that's stacked on top of each other. I didn't know you could do that with porter cabins. I broke the blinds today, <laughs> or at least I was told I broke the blinds. I think it's one of those things where, you know, if you invite someone around to your house and they and something's already broken, you can try and blame it on them. I think that's what, that's the only reason they got me down to Taunton, to pay for another <laughs> port cabin. Um, worst conditions I've ever commentated? You know what? Between April and June every year, because I suffer really badly from hay fever, so I'm just... It's bad enough for me, because my nose is running, I'm sneezing all over the place, but also anyone I'm sharing a press box with. 
it becomes terrible conditions for them as well. So yeah, I just bring, for that. so you know you, you you're in a situation. <laughs> I really can't stand a sniffer. I hate being sat uh, next I'm, to a sniffer. But bitch. you know what? I'm one of those sniffers who's done it for so long. I, I honestly couldn't care less. <laughs> I'd be the say, person out, sitting but... next to you, passively aggressively handing you a tissue. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're, also wearing, you're wearing one of those jumpers that um, mums have, where you've, you could have a tissue up your sleeve. That is true. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, it's a good jumper. Thanks. Graham Swan and Phil Tufnell both suffer from bad hay fever. And uh, that's why Graham Swan used to wear dark glasses and, and have his, um, his collar turned up. Oh. Because uh, cut grass was disastrous for him. And Phil Tufnell still has problems with cut grass. It's dreadful. So, even though it's October next week and it is now dark by 7pm, there is still a surprising amount of cricket to get through. Saturday saw the return of T20 finals day at its spiritual home of Edgbaston. And it's a bit of a strange atmosphere, that one. We walk down the road with Big Bird, the Power Rangers, the Pope and his Cardinals, uh, and the Jack Leach quintuplets. Dan, did you, who did you spot in the crowd? Did you see any good costumes? Uh, pregnant nun, which I think is a marvellous sort of 16th century <laughs> touch. Really enjoyed that. <laughs> Especially as she was being put through her paces by Mr Motivator, who was standing in front of the entire Holly stand. And I was given the, I say dubious pleasure, there, it was not a pleasure of trying to commentate Mr Motivator, who is a remorselessly positive man, trying to get an, a stand of mostly very drunken people fit, which was weird. And I uh, also had to try to describe what turned out to be a unitard. Have you ever come across such a thing? Uh, yes, and it was very brightly coloured, wasn't it? it sort very of brightly neon coloured. pinks With and a bum greens bag. and yellows. I mean, what do you need a bum bag for when you're trying to get a pregnant nun to be motivated to move. I don't I didn't understand. Probably for allergy medicine. <laughs> could have been that. Yeah. It could have been that. I saw I saw that I obviously I saw uh, I liked the fox that was being hunted by the fox hunters. Yes, that's right. There was a lot of people running around a lot of the time. I don't know actually whether they seem like to, to be start there. out as a conga line and then you're right it just especially as the, the later it goes on during the day the, they're all a lot drunker and the conga gets slower and slower to the point where people can't really dance anymore and they're just walking around they look they actually look like they're kind of walking around in a kind of walk of shame they do don't it they? looks very yeah. doomed just practicing for the next day yeah. <laughs> exactly it, is, it, gets, it does it does get a bit like dance floor at a wedding where like you know kids or as a kid you just like slide across it you're just running around like a maniac. Yeah. That's what finals day. The Hollies, after about the midway through the second semi-final, it just becomes an absolute state. So, of well, place. that's a good but question. Do, do you think it's become too much about the party and not enough about the sport? No, no. I, I think finals day is great. I think one of the worst things would be for the ECB to get rid of it because we have a real issue in this country of being quite snooty about cricket and I think finals day is, is the perfect place where casual fans and proper fans can come together Edgbaston have sorted it out in terms of having that specific party stand and having stands without alcohol family stands and things like that I think it brings together quite a lot of the good things in English cricket it does mess with your head though I was staying in a hotel in the centre of town and um when the Essex team, who were also staying in the hotel, arrived at about half eleven with the trophy, I was convinced they were all people in fancy dress dressed up as the Essex team because nobody's real anymore. That's the thing. So you, you, you can get a bit confused. But I'm, I'm with Vish, yes, I think it's, uh, it's uh, signs of undiluted joy are, are probably good for the game. I would, just one caveat, because it's cropped up a couple of times lately. We had the party stand at Old Trafford. And on commentary, we were forever saying, oh, isn't the party stand great? Doesn't it look like fun? Well, 
got some emails from people who were in the party stand who found it incredibly irksome and it got like quite leery and quite annoying. So yeah, and I they hadn't know. signed up for that. They didn't know they were sitting in the party stand. Exactly. I like to think that the Holly stand. You go to the Holly stand in fancy dress and you're all in it together. So hopefully it's an atmosphere that people are, are enjoying yeah. you know but um we've got to be a little bit careful sometimes well the cricket was just as good as the costumes and the atmosphere moeen ali's worcestershire rapids won the first of the semi-finals the second saw essex knockout derbyshire who were making their finals day debut and the essex eagles captain simon harmer starred with the ball taking four for 19. after just seven hours of cricket and, as we pointed out, a fifth inning stretch from Mr Motivator, we reached the final. Essex Eagles against Worcestershire Rapids. Great names both. Essex bowled very well to restrict Worcestershire to 145 for nine. And Harmer took four for 16. So his total for the day was eight for 35. A new best for combined finals day figures. Someone did quite well in the chase, didn't they? <laughs> well, we, we, we were we were going to ask you about that. I, at first, I was going to ask Dan if he thought that Essex looked like they were going to make a mess of it. Uh, well, I didn't think they had a chance because what happens on finals day is weirdly patterns develop. Every finals day I've been to, after the first match, it's strange. The second match and then the third match follow a very similar pattern. And the last couple of years now, that pattern has been the first 10 overs, you can get off to a decent start while the ball is hard. And then it becomes devilishly difficult to bat. And the last 10 overs, you're sort of wading through treacle. So when Essex subsided to 88 for five, I think, and they needed to go at nines, nine and a bit and over, I'd written them off completely uh, because the pattern had been set for the day. And all five innings up to that point had followed exactly the same pattern. So and then, it, was a bit, it was a bit of a shock, wasn't it? And Bish? then, Bish, do you well, want to talk about somebody for whom you have a deep professional admiration, which you have confessed before on this podcast? Well, yeah, the, it's, you know, people worry that Essex were going to throw it away. Um, and I think the only two people knew they weren't, and that was me and, and Ravi Bapara. <laughs> And uh, one of us did something about it. The other person tweeted about it. And um, <laughs> rest is history. Um, it, it's really interesting because uh, off the back of finals day, um, there are a few pieces written on Sunday about Ravi and how he was used by Simon Harmer because they dropped him at the start of the season. Um, despite the fact that he's pretty, he's kind of your ideal T20 player. You know, bowls a bit of dibbly doublers, very, you know, a very smart bowler as well, and can can hit boundaries at will. And He's had quite a strange England career, and I say that as one of his biggest fans. He played a lot of ODIs, but not necessarily in the same role. And it just seems that in that one moment, one of the many roles he was tried at, he turned out to be excellent at and won Essex a trophy off the back of it. I know Simon Harmer came in and hit the winning runs, but um, yeah, without Bapara, they wouldn't have got even close. And I think it's quite interesting that they were talking about how that was a trophy he wanted to win. It sounded quite jarring. I'm, I'm Not that I have anything against T20, but it's just... I don't know. I found it quite weird that he he put so much focus on winning that trophy of all the other competitions he's played in, of all the other series he's played in. He's played in World Cups, Champions Trophies and stuff like that. But I suppose he's at an age now where he's got to recalibrate his ambition, hasn't he? And he's only got a few years left. He'll probably be T20 gun for hire in a year or two. You're not starting the, the hashtag Ravi for England yet, then? Start, it hasn't finished. <laughs> it, won't ever, it won't ever finish, yeah. Well, also, they'd, uh, they'd always been knocked out in the first game, hadn't they? They played four times previously, yes. and they'd always been knocked out by one o'clock, one thirty. So the joke for Essex was they'd gone further in the competition this year than ever before because at least they were playing in the second game. 
And, you know, Ravi Bop's been a T20 gun, hasn't he, for a long time. So he probably, and Essex have underperformed in T20. You look at their side and you thought, you know, when Tender Scarter was a bit younger, uh, you just kind of looked at that side and thought they should be doing much better. And they had a terrible, terrible season. I mean, they won two of their first 10 games. I know there were a lot of rained off matches, but they won one game, which was reduced to 15 overs against a really poor Surrey team. And other than that, they were doing nothing. So you can kind of get why it mattered to him. But there was another thing, though, I think, which was why he really wanted to do it. He'd been pushed down to six, hadn't he? Yeah. I don't think he was too happy about that. And Simon Harmer was convinced that this was the right way forward for Essex. And he wanted them to play in a different style, in a different fashion. And they just, once they got it right, they then suddenly went on this roll. Because they must have won. Did they win five of their last six? And Yes. And if, if there was one person who seemed to be absolutely sure that Essex were going to do this, it was Simon Harmer, who told us also in the press conference <laughs> afterwards. He's a man who is um, very, very confident about... His, See, his ideas and Emma. his abilities. <laughs> and that was an interesting press conference, wasn't it? Uh, yes, it was. I mean, I, I would love to see him play for England. I think it'd be hilarious if you went to India in, in tandem with Jack Leach. And, uh, uh, talking of whom, he's actually just turning his arm over in the back of the indoor nets. Just walked in. Wave. Hi, wave. Jack. Do you want to get him on? Yeah, why not? I think he's walking over. He's walking over. What a birthday for you, by the way. <laughs> This, this is a pretty cool birthday. Is this turning into your best birthday ever? It is. I mean, and all the 90s cricketers I've spotted this today. Hi, Hi. I'm Emma. Hi. Hi. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Yeah. So you just popped in here because obviously it's raining and... You... Yeah, I just went down to the gym um, just to see who's around and these times it's like everyone's bored waiting for something to happen. <laughs> Well, you're welcome to come and have a piece of cake with us. This was Big Marx's cake that was it? Uh, we made, yeah. Is it lemon? It's lemon drizzle. Would you like a piece? Yeah. Did you know that was lemon by looking at it? or because Yeah, it, it looks like lemon drizzle, doesn't oh. it? I thought because it was it Vic's favourite cake drizzle. or something. No, <laughs> no, no, no. It's a lemon drizzle, man, yeah. Everyone in Somerset knows what Vic's favourite <laughs> cake is. <laughs> Did Vic present your cap? Because he presented Dom's cap, didn't he? Yeah. No. <laughs> Not for England. No. He presented my Somerset cap. Right, 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 um, okay. Dom was his England cap, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Graham Swan did my England cap. Better or worse than... Would you rather at Vic or are you happy with Graham? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to know. I'm happy like... with either. <laughs> Good day's work for you today. Congratulations. Thank you. We obviously need it to stop raining Yeah. pretty quickly. But, yeah, it's, uh, things happening out there, so we'll see what happens. Dan looks like he's looking up the weather I've got, I have terrific news for you. Because we were a bit despondent when we saw the weather forecast before. But the Met Office weather app has confirmed that there's very little chance of rain for two days. Varun Chopra is convinced this whole match can be completed in 200 overs. I think you've got the championship in the bag. Well, given we need to get 20 wickets and we've got none so far, I'd say it's, uh, we'll take one step at a time. But Can I just ask one question on that? Because when we were coming up, we were sort of speculating, the journos were speculating, thinking the weather forecast looks bad. So if you, if you get the chance... You win the toss, you might try to bowl because you want to get at them quickly. Presumably, you decided that the pitch is going to deteriorate, did you? Is that that's the reasoning behind um, behind batting first? Yeah, I think so. I think um, the pitch looked like one that it's going to get harder and, and chasing a score on there would be challenging. So I think bowling last on it was probably the way to go. And yeah, we'll see if that pans out like that. But um, I suppose there's a couple of ways you could do it, but... Uh, we've gone for this one. Will you all go out for a big end of season, you know, night out, whatever happens? Yeah, Can you yeah. go to a spa or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure we'll do that. I think we will uh, 
We'll celebrate the season, whatever. I think obviously it'll be so much better if, if we win the championship, but it's still been a year where we've put everything into it. Like it doesn't mean you put any less effort in it, whether you win or not. So obviously you want to spend some time together and uh, have a few drinks. And I think on the Friday, we've got the end of season dinner anyway. So either way, we'll have a nice time together, but it would be so much better if we win. <laughs> I've got one really important question for you as a glasses wearer. Yeah. So you've got free specs for life from Specsavers. Mm. Are you going to get some, some jazzy frames? Are you going to go Elton John-ish? Are you going get, <laughs> to get a whole load of them? Are you going to get the reactor light rapides, very focals, just get like 30 of the buggers? <laughs> um, good question. I think I'm happy with just one solid pair. No, 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 no. You always lose them, especially if you go swimming with them. Yeah. I've lost a pair of glasses. You go swimming in your glasses? Yeah, well, because I'm really blind. I went swimming in Greece and my glasses fell off and I couldn't get them back and I was I basically had to I'm wander sorry, around Greece. I think Greece, you're the like... only person who does this. Jack, do you ever go swimming in your glasses? No. No, of course you don't. Um, Nobody else my, does um, that, Dan. My girlfriend wants some uh, free sunglasses. She's got some in mind, so... I'm sure lots of people want glasses, but um, <laughs> actually, I'll, 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 check the terms and conditions. I'll deal savers. with it after. I've said I'll sort of deal with it after the um, summer. I just want to get through all the cricket and not get distracted by anything. I hadn't thought about this. So basically, I could come to you with a specification for the glasses that I need, and I could, you could sort of slip Seriously, them in into your. I don't your... think that's how it works. No, I don't think so. He could get me the frames, couldn't he? <laughs> Thank you, and on that note, I might go. <laughs> Thank you so much for chatting with us. No worries. Cheers. What's the chances of that happening at Somerset in the indoor school? Probably one in. Oh, one. God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the people you meet at the indoor school in Somerset. Yeah. This week, we got to look into the future, at least the future as the ECB sees it. On Friday, we found out which players had been awarded central contracts for the England men's teams. These are the players who have their wages paid by England and not their counties, effectively becoming full-time international cricketers. No surprise that Joffre Archer has been signed for all forms of the game, or that Rory Burns has done enough to earn a Red Bull contract, but there were some decisions that raised a few eyebrows. Joe Denley, for instance, received a one-day contract, even though he was dropped from the World Cup squad. But he doesn't get a Red Bull one, despite playing in all five Ashes tests. Can anybody explain that? Vish, can you explain that to me? Yeah, I think they, while they have... Um you know, while they have their titles as being four tests and four one days, I think there's, I think the breakup is ten and twelve, isn't it? So like ten test contracts and twelve one day contracts. And I think the way they thought about it with respect to Denley and a couple of other players, I suppose, who didn't get them. Obviously, if you don't have a contract, it doesn't mean you you dropped and you'll never play for England again. But with Denley, I think they thought they wanted to keep him on the books and. It's just, I suppose it's a way of fudging it, I suppose, like quite a professional way of fudging it. You know, I suppose, you know, do companies do things like this with surpluses and whatever. These are words I've heard. I've never really known the meaning of. Um, yeah. It's got something to do with yeah, money. Yeah, but, but it's, it's, I think it was one of, the, one of their ways of, of basically rewarding him while also keeping a, a test space free for Rory Burns is obviously only playing test, but then obviously satisfying Joe Root, Johnny Besto, who has a test contract but hasn't made the test squad for New Zealand. Players like that who who needed to be taken care of all the way down and while also rewarding Joe Denley, basically, yeah. There's another uh, player who did not get his contract renewed, uh, Liam Plunkett, who played a crucial part mm. in England's World Cup campaign. Is, is that harsh, Dan, or are they just planning for the next World Cup when Plunkett will be 38? 
Well, it's harsh, isn't it? But that's some afraid what professional sport is, isn't it? Um, he's not likely to play in the next World Cup. So for that very reason, it's you can see why they wouldn't give him a, a contract. Um, it's tough on his employers as well because suddenly now they've got to find his wages. <laughs> so <laughs> that's uh, I should think Surrey raised an eyebrow uh, or two upon seeing that. But I don't think we can be particularly surprised by it, given his age. Even though, you know, he was ever present in England's wins, wasn't he, in the World Cup? Whenever he was out the side, England lost. When he was in the side, they won. So that's a bit strange. I tend to think, though, that these are kind of internal machinations of the ECB that we spend time poring over, but they don't make any obvious sense when you see them. As you just mentioned, too, you know, Denley going on a test tour and Bairstow not. Bairstow has a test contract, Denley has a whiteboard contract, and you don't imagine Denley playing much whiteboard cricket. So it's kind of confusing. You can like, get brain ache analysing it. I suppose what you see with the Plunkett decision is that he's very unlikely now to play for England again, you would think. I suppose he might play. Might he play T20? Well, he's a world T20 next year. And the, the other yeah, thing about these contracts... best format, though, is it, T20? No, really? but if, if you think of someone they need to bowl up front and then obviously the middle overs are a lot smaller, but he's someone who still does that job and especially in Australia where if you think of the dimensions of the ground they'll be quite big and for someone who bowls mm. the areas and lengths that he bowls he's going to get a lot of people caught square as he did during the World Cup I think it'd be foolish not to take him there obviously if he's in form and fit and firing and whatever um, with regards to these contracts there was talk at the start of the year about maybe using them to bring young fast bowlers onto England's books because there was a you know, naturally there's a spate of back injuries and the ECB have always thought that whenever a fast bowler comes through and breaks into the England team, they should get a contract straight away because then they can manage their workload because you can pull them out of county games, you can, you know, arrange all sorts of training and, and fitness regimes at Loughborough and stuff like that. So the th- they were thinking of doing it with Saqib Mahmood and a couple of other younger players. I suppose George Garton would have come into that had he not, I suppose, fallen completely off the radar. Young bowlers like that who wouldn't necessarily play for England but just so they could have a bit more control over what they do from day to day. Well let's talk about some of those younger players because we have also found out who's in the touring squads for New Zealand and a couple of players have been rewarded for good seasons in the T20 blast. Batsman Tom Banton of this Somerset Parish and as we've mentioned fast bowler Saqib Mahmood uh, who's been making a name for himself up at Old Trafford they're both good selections aren't they? I love them a lot. (laughs) I saw Saqib Mahmood in Barbados and he's kind of a two-length bowler, really, so it's short or very full. But he's he's quick and he's muscular, and I think he's I think he could be really handy. Um, I think he's getting more and more game awareness the more and more he plays, and I think he's going to get more variety the more he plays. As for Banton, we we all go a bit dreamy over Banton. I mean, Michael Vaughan said he was like something like the new KP plays KP-esque shots. I think we've got to be really careful with batters. Because he is better than KP, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. much better than KP, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> no, he's, it's his first season that he's really done anything. So we've seen him do something brief. We saw him get a T20-100 and then everybody gets very excited. The thing about batters is I tend to think you've got to see him over two or three years to find out whether bowlers have worked them out because batters can arrive without obvious flaws and it's the second season and the third season. That's why I've been really excited by Ollie Pope because he's sort of continued his development and ironed out issues and dealt with issues and dealt with the fact that bowlers covered him slightly differently because they've seen more of him. So with a batter, you've got to get to see them have to adjust to bowlers knowing what they're doing. But 
you know, it's, it's difficult not to get excited by somebody who can switch it for six. There's some other new names in the squad. Lewis Gregory, another Taunton talent. Matt Parkinson of Lancashire and Pat Brown of Worcestershire have all been called up with more established names like Ben Stokes, Joe Root, Joffre Archer, Chris Wokes, Joss Butler and Jason Roy all taking a rest. Um, so with under a year until the T20 World Cup, is this a development tour, do you think, Bish? Um, I suppose it is, yeah. Considering there are quite a few people who've been rested from that squad who will come back in immediately. Yeah, it, it is something. like that. I suppose it's, it's probably the right way to do it because I think the real alternates are going to get game time. So if, if you look at some of the older players in there, you've got David Milan, James Vince, Sam Billings has come back into the fray as well. And they'll probably be duking out between themselves for that spare batsman slot. So yeah, there's, there's something for them to play for. And with the likes of... Parkinson, Mahmood, England do this thing where they, they just want to see how people do at international level. They don't really care about the format. So for someone like Mahmood, specifically Parkinson as well, I think if they think or if they see enough from him that he has that kind of temperament for, for big games and bear in mind they're going to be playing on small grounds in New Zealand against really accomplished T20 batsmen. So, you know, they're going to come against an established force. New Zealand won't be using this as a mess about because they don't get too much international cricket. So they'll be in a situation where they kind of owe it to their home fans to to you know put the full strength team out. So it'll be also a, a won't they want a bit of revenge? I mean, I don't think it counts the as revenge, who... does it? I think they could. Yeah, I don't the know. Five match T20 series. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've got tests as well. I mean, we should come on to the the test yeah. squad because those rested World Cup and Ashes stars will join back for the tests and without. Johnny Bairstow, as Dan demanded on this podcast a week ago. So did have, I? You, have you been have you been on the phone to Ed Smith? Uh, well, I did see him actually, and, uh, and he, obviously he, I have his ear uh, at all times. Scaramanga and Nick Knack are often on the phone to me. As I, I thought you were just going to pull it out and throw it on the table. <laughs> uh, I think these, it's exactly the right decision. I think Johnny Bairstow needs to not be keeper. I think he needs to be a batsman. I think England need him to be a batsman. And I know that he's going to be furious about that. Uh, when he was taking the gloves off him against Sri Lanka, he got 100 at number three and waved angrily at the press. Uh, it was a bit weird because the press, of course, had suggested that he should bat at three and not have the gloves. And uh, they were kind of proven right, really. <laughs> what he should have done was get out for a first ball duck. And then he could have waved angrily at the press. I think also that between Butler and Bairstow, they wanted to make sure that they weren't both of them weren't on both parts of the tour. So Butler's not doing the T20 leg, is he? And Bairstow is doing the T20 leg, and then they're switching. Because they have had long and awkward summers, and I should imagine that it was in part explained to him in this way. What does surprise me, though, is they haven't taken folk. So the spare keeper is either Ollie Pope or Rory Burns. So they need Butler not to get uh, a broken finger, although I suppose Bairstow could still be out there, because he be out there with the T20 squad, won't he? I just prefer the balance. I think what's most notable is, though, that it's a complete vault fast from what they were doing at the start of the summer, or the start of the Test match summer, where they were actually shoehorning white ball players into the top order. And now they've picked effectively four openers, which is sort of a quite a recherche way to go, isn't it? Because you've got Burns, Denley, Sibley and Crawley. Not all four will play, but you'd think three of them will play. So they'll effectively play three openers at the top, you'd imagine, and then Root... And then you can have Stokes, Pope, Butler. So Pope sandwiched at six, potentially, between two established players. And that then looks like 
a proper batting order, doesn't it? It looks like a traditional top seven, which England haven't had for ages because they've been shoehorning in about five number sixes into their order. Yeah, and it's interesting that the the only difference between selection committee at the start of the summer and this one that's picked this squad is there's no Bayliss. Yes, so true. you can almost kind of look back and, and work out which were Bayliss's picks and which weren't. Like uh, Bayliss was a big folks fan. Folks is not in this one. Um, Bayliss fought for Bearstow's corner. Bearstow's not in this squad. Um, so Means that almost certainly Root will drop back down to four then. Yeah, he will. Well, I, I think I think he, I think he will. Yeah, well, well, he has to, week. doesn't he, with that squad because oh, they, course, they're yeah, going to yeah. play three of those four openers. Yeah. Also, he just needs. Uh, Obviously a brilliant bats- batsman, but he just needs a backbone as well. If you want to bat there, just say you bat there. It's we've been going through this merry dance with him for the last three years, where we'll t- we'll be told he's going to bat th- he's going to bat three, and he'll do his press conference and say, yeah, no, no, I want to bat three. It's what's right, right for the team. And then at the end of that series, it's yeah, I'm going to go back to four because it's probably what's best for the team. I can't believe we're talking about the winter tours already because I remember mm. a point earlier this season when I thought the World Cup was going to go on forever. This is going to be a hard summer to say goodbye to. And not least for Marcus Truscothic, who is hanging up his boots at the end of this week. I chatted to him earlier and you can hear that interview, plus more from Dan and Vish, after the break. Did you know that the first official Women's Cricket World Cup was held in 1973, two years before the men's? Or that a whole new bowling technique came into play to get around hoop skirts? There are lots of things to love and learn about women's cricket. As a part of its push to get everyone playing cricket, NatWest has partnered with The Guardian Labs to tell more stories about the game. Follow them at theguardian.com forward slash natwest dash cricket. This message was paid for by NatWest. Welcome back to The Spin. The Guardian Cricket Podcast, which can tell that the autumn nights are closing in, even without taking a light reading. We are in Taunton, where I'm joined by Dan and Vish, and also have been spotting a lot of my favourite 90s cricketers all hanging around uh, at the back of the pavilion. You like 90s cricketers, don't you? I do, and Mm. it feels like a special birthday treat that I have just walked past so many of them today. Andy Caddick, Dominic Cork, Mark Ramprakash, Mike Atherton, Marcus Truscothic. It's been it's been a good day for me. I'm more into ninety year old cricketers as a general rule. <laughs> we won't ask. We're here because one of the teams who should be playing right now uh, will be holding the county championship trophy aloft at some point on Thursday. If it continues raining, it'll be Essex as they hold a slender lead going into the game. But if Somerset can force a win on what you could generously describe as a result pitch, then they will be champions for the first time in their history. Dan, what do you think of this pitch? I rather like it <laughs> because we've, the BBC have, have basically done it like a test match special for this game because the idea of Somerset winning the county championship and not doing it, not having Vic Marks on air when it happens would be criminal because you just want to see him because it matters so much to him you can tell when you're sat on commentary with him he's living every ball when especially when they're bowling you know oh because oh oh it's a ball snakes past he's like a wise mouse isn't he he's like a disney mouse like a yes he's exactly like a disney mouse yeah (laughs) and and no disney pick is yeah it's complete without the without a wise mouse little wise mouse yeah so yeah i do like it i mean i don't know i don't think it's a terror track by any means and i don't think the pitch inspector is going to be called in but Leach and Bess, they're going to get two days' worth of cricket with a bit of luck to force the result at the back end. 
if they manage to do that, there won't be a dry eye in the house. And I just, you know, what we're doing, what are we doing? We're just wringing the very last drops of magic out of the summer, aren't we? Yeah, this so, would be the perfect ending. It would, but I want to be, but I don't want to be cruel to Essex. Because if Essex were to win, they'd become the first team to have done the T20 County Championship double. And it would be an amazing story in its own right. Because, you know, they were in the second division not that long ago. Since they've come back up, I think they've won 26 out of 41 games or 27 out of 41 games. They've been incredible. So... You know, whoever wins, it'll be a celebration of, of some of the best aspects of domestic cricket. It is kind of extraordinary to think that Somerset have never won the championship, especially when you consider some of the greats that have played here. Sir Ian Botham, Sir Viv Richards, Joel Garner, Justin Langer, Andy Caddick and Marcus Truscothic. Marcus announced his retirement from the game earlier this season and this morning before the start of play, I sat in the dugout while the teams were going through their warm-ups and had a chat with Marcus and Sir Alistair Cook, sort of. How are you? Good, thanks. How Happy are you? birthday, first and foremost. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> um, you've just been out training the Somerset team. Is mm. that part of your official duties now? No, not really. Obviously, it's, uh, you know, I'm sort of gradually moving into sort of coaching as much as I can and just being around, obviously, for this last week and, and helping out and just being an extra body around that you can, that you can do stuff. Um, and with a with a view to maybe sort of carry on afterwards, so um, just trying to work out exactly what is happening for me after you know post career, um, and working out where exactly I'm going to be. So you, you still got lots of options open then? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's I'm at conversations with different people, and um, you know it's just trying to work out what direction it's going to look like, and then we'll sort of you know once I've got a bit more of uh, a plan and an idea about how it's going to work out, then I can see where I'm going to be and uh, put it all together. So there's a lot of rain forecast for this game mm. and Essex might be looking the favourites with the rain to, to take the trophy. What would it mean for Somerset to win on the last day of your playing career? It's a huge, um, a huge thing for the club more than anything else. Um, you know, it's a trophy that we've never won and we've put ourselves in positions in many occasions to not get over the line. But, uh, you know, we've been close for a number of years now, especially in the last sort of five or six years. We've been much closer than we ever have been. And, you know, we're, we've been playing good enough cricket, but I think it'll just be great. You know, I'm not looking upon it as though it'd be a good thing for what I need to do. It's what the club is, what we've our objective is what we've planned out for a long, long time now. So we're, we're getting very close all the time. You'll still be around cricket, as you've said, and I'm sure you'll still be a regular in the pavilion at Taunton. But what will you miss about actually playing? Uh, I guess it's that point where you're succeeding. You know, when you're out in the middle and you, you're doing so well, controlling the game and, and making a massive impact into the side winning and coming out on top. Of course, that is a, you know, that's a massive part of it when you really sort of go about it and enjoy that feeling. There's many things I won't miss in the fielding and stuff, but... You know, I think the I fielding, just, the fielding, yeah, the, the time. Do you get bored with fielding? No, it's just hard work, isn't it? When you're standing out there for such a long period of time. But um, there's many different things which you miss. You miss the change room, you miss um, the practice and everything that goes with it. But you, you kind of substitute it and, and put it around. Obviously, then when you're coaching, you can do other things that fill the void for you. That's interesting about the fielding. I feel like, yeah, you will get a lot of hours of your life back. Potentially, yeah, it'd be a lot more time sat down, I would say, compared to obviously being out on the pitch. But um, will you, what will been, you do with those hours? Will you know. suddenly become a great reader or something no, like that? No, definitely not. No, I'm hoping to obviously be involved in coaching, so we'll we'll see how that goes. If not, if I'm not training or playing, then I'll probably be on the golf course or somewhere. I would imagine. 
You've played with some amazing cricketers and against some amazing cricketers during your career. We want to find out who the best were. So <laughs> who has been your favourite captain? It's really tricky. I amass this numerous times, especially when you're playing with England. You're thinking um, Michael Vaughan, Andrew Strauss, uh, Nasser Hussain would have probably been, you know, it's really hard to, you know, split them apart. I guess the best time that came in my career was when we won the Ashes in 05 and Michael Vaughan was captain at that time. So let's say Michael for now. Who's the best bowler you've ever faced? Shane Warne. Yeah, very tricky, very tricky. His ability to obviously, how he bowled his art anyway, his skill was was phenomenal. But, uh, you know, it was a very tricky time playing against those those Australians at that time. And he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. What batsman has had a technique that you've really envied? I always like watching Mike Hussey play. You know, there's many different people that you sort of, um, career-wise, you, you watch and stuff. But Mike Hussey, I always thought, was a lovely player. Being a fellow left-hander as well. Um, I enjoyed watching him back. I think he was a special player. Who's the most fun person you've shared a dressing room with? Uh, it's a difficult one. There's there's lots of different people. Um, you know, I think probably more in this sort of environment. Pete Trigo uh, was was around then. Certainly not Sir Alistair Cook. Hi, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pete Trigo was very entertaining. We've had some good times here, and obviously Pete's obviously finishing with Sunset this year as well. Um, so he's been good value. Who's the player who most wound you up in the dressing room? There's so many. I mean, <laughs> over, over, you think in sort of 27 seasons that it's like the volume of people that you've uh, that you've played with along that time. It's really tricky to say. Really tricky to say. I thought you were just not going to say because you know you didn't want to drop anyone oh, in. It, no. But no, it's because there's loads yeah. of them. It's, it's, it's stacks. Yeah, there's uh, there's thousands of people that you you've come across and uh, have constantly taken the mick out of you. Yeah. You've shared your mental health struggles in your brilliant book. What advice would you give or have you given to Somerset's young players who've just been selected for their first tours with England? Uh, look, I think they're in a, a much more privileged position now because you know the whole mental side and uh, you know the the wellness in general is is so much more cared for than what it was. Now it's a lot more of a bigger topic in comparison when I was sort of going through it. What I say to everyone, is, you know, if if anybody is feeling problems with with mental health problems, is to seek help. Tell somebody about it. You know, whether a doctor, a friend, a colleague, or whatever it is, somebody you can trust that you can go to just to air your concerns and then you can start the journey of getting back to better health again that's the key and you've been out there warming the players up are you allowed to do throwdowns since you nearly knocked out jason, jason roy? roy yeah um yes i am i'm still allowed i've i've managed to hit a couple more along the way and you know i'm getting a bit of a reputation but the boys still keep coming back for a few more hits which is okay which is good um we've not done too much damage just yet and finally have you decided which somerset membership option you're going to <laughs> buy next season well i'm kind of hoping i won't have to buy one i'm sort of <laughs> hoping when they're just going to let me have one but if not i'll just come and sit in my stand and sort of sit there and watch the game uh, and enjoy the cricket but it is something that well, i have to address obviously the family still want to come and watch my kids in particular love coming to watch the t20 so i think i'm gonna have to dip in my pocket and pay for a membership somewhere well you think they would at least give you you know five seats in the front row of your own marcus Druscothic stand potentially potentially i, I might raise that question with them just to see what i can get out of them <laughs> thanks very much marcus cheers thank you the forecast for the next 48 hours does not look great here so my final question to you two is how are you going to occupy yourselves for two days in taunton in the rain um, I would like to believe I would go to bed at yeah. a reasonable hour and get a full eight hours sleep. 
but I know deep down that's not going to happen because you know, it's not just a cricket season ending on the pitch. There's there's a kind of camaraderie that comes with doing it, and they're all your little chums, you know. And know. it's like they're taken away from you because the other thing for me is they will fly, little pretties. They fly away around the world to go and be together. And I and the BBC am <laughs> all left alone in the dark, Dad, horrible you know we're not going to leave you alone. We're all going to go and sit together and re-watch the World Cup final and the last day of heading You have May. to, That's what we're going to do. You know, <laughs> you know what they should do? You know, the, the Prince Charles Cinema in London, they have this thing called a quote-along, so like you can go and watch Anchorman or you can go watch Casablanca and shout the words. Yes. We should do that with the World Cup final, but shout bits of the internet comments. the barest of margins. <laughs> yes, I'm up for that. Well, we're going to have to, uh, we're going to, have to end our chat because not only is the indoor uh, cricket centre about to be in use, but um, Somerset and Essex are about to give their press conference. So it is time to thank my guests. Dan Norcross and Vish Ahantaraja and also to thank Marcus Truscothic and Jack Leach. Our next episode is a special one-on-one chat with Vic Marks about his life in the Somerset dressing room, touring with England and three decades in the press box and on TMS commentary. We're also getting ready for our end of season spectacular in which we will feature as many guests as we can fit in the studio. If the weather gods are listening, please, please, can this incredible summer of cricket end with a result and not a soggy end for Somerset. Yeah, That would be lovely. Thanks. The Spin is supported by NatWest. To find out about how NatWest is making it easier for everyone to get involved in cricket, search NatWest Cricket.